to a very new place. She uh, has become the queen of Persia as a Jewish girl, as a, a Jewish orphan girl. And um, I do wonder if Esther might have felt kind of some similar things, kind of like she was a, a little plant trying to find some roots, trying to find some grounding um, in a place where she didn't feel she belonged. So this young Jewish girl, brought up by her elder cousin, Mordecai. Now, I just have to back up a little bit. We've talked for a couple weeks now how Esther, the, the, the book is a the genre, is a court tale. It's a it's almost a melodrama. And so, if so, Jewish readers, when they hear the story of Esther, when they hear the name Esther, what do they do? They cheer. So it's strangely quiet in here. The fact that I keep saying the name Esther. Okay, so Esther. Okay, and the other name would be Mordecai. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, no. What have I taught you? Okay. Mordecai, good. Okay. Haman, bad. Okay, okay. Look, you know, we've still got quite a few weeks in this series, so we're going to get it figured out. Okay, so Mordecai, Esther, Haman. Okay, good. Okay. Oh, yeah, just making sure I had it figured out. Good. Okay. So. Here is Esther and Mordecai uh, trying, <laughs> trying to make sense of this environment that, that they felt in which they did not belong. That there wouldn't have been very much that would have felt familiar. Not only is Esther being now called to be the, the Persian woman, but she's also the Persian queen. Okay? The stakes are, are pretty high. So we're going to look at today, a, a little episode, a, a, a little section in this time of Esther's reign, and um, we're going to look in chapter two and just listen to her discomfort. Um, there's only little hints of it, um, but listen in. So this is chapter two, continuing on. We ended last week at verse 18. So verse 19, even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem, and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions, just as she did when she lived in his home. So do you hear some tension? She's having to juggle multiple things. She's juggling this new and complex situation. She's needing to live into these circumstances, circumstances that she did not choose, but finds herself in. And still, she needs to hold her identity close to her chest. It needs to be hidden. Uh, you know, so who she truly is cannot be out there. The last, last week we talked about Esther um, is a borrowed name, and it's got some connections to the word nistar in Hebrew, and that means hidden. Esther is still having to stay hidden, who she truly is. And so there's, there's this tension that she 
real phenomenon in humanity. I was reading um, something that John Calvin wrote back. This was uh, in the 1500s. Okay, so that would be like 500 years ago. So John Calvin, he says, the Lord bids each one of us in all life's actions to look to his calling. For he knows with what great restlessness human nature flames, with what fickleness is born hither and thither, how its ambition longs to embrace various things at once, and before, lest to our stupidity and rashness everything be turned topsy-turvy. He has appointed duties for every man in his particular way of life, and that no one may thoughtlessly transgress his written limits. He has named the various kinds of living callings. Therefore, each individual has his own kind of living assigned to him by the Lord as a sort of sentry post, so that he may not heedlessly wander about throughout life. I'm almost positive that Esther and her cousin Mordecai, just like us, experienced restlessness, unsettled sure they wonder, what in the world are we doing with these people in this place? They are Jews, after all, who belong in Jerusalem, of course. And at this point, they technically could have been there. It was King Xerxes' grandpa. So, years ago, King um, Cyrus the Great, he was the emperor who took over Babylon, and he's the one who said to the Jews, you can return to Jerusalem if you want. And yet, we discover that here, Esther and Mordecai do not choose to live as people displaced. They don't wait for the circumstances to be just right and perfect. Esther and Mordecai seem to put their roots down right even if it's a gravel pile and not a well-watered and sunny exposure, you know, flower bin, perfect setting with fertile soil. So listen to their story. One little snapshot. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana, I think these are interesting, Bigthana and Teresh, Regards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai the credit for the report. When an, in, when an in, investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes. to know, 
return to his homeland, he would not have been paying attention in the present moment. He wouldn't have seen what was right in front of him. He would not have heard these two guards plotting to kill the king. If Mordecai believed that his true life, his true calling, his real life planned by God was somewhere else, then he would never have entered into this moment and done what he could for someone who wasn't really even his king or or his loyalty. But he did. Mordecai uses his attention, he uses his position, where he's standing, he uses just where he is, and he notices what's going on, and he then makes the effort to tell. He uses his connections in the palace, his connection with Queen Queen Esther, and and he, and he communicates what's going on. These are not people who are biding their time in an unfortunate situation. These are people of God who are living out their best selves in a less than ideal place, situation, circumstance. They're blooming where they're planted. So the scripture readings we heard earlier this morning, uh, paint a beautiful picture for us. Psalm 1 uses the imagery of a tree rooted right next to a stream, where it can pull water and pull nutrients readily. It's, it's easy. It can grow and it can flourish. It reminds me of cranberry flats. This is uh, this past fall. Steve and I were down there uh, walking by the river, and we were just observing how close to the river the trees are big. I mean, like, like I can't fit my arms around them. Kind of big. And just, you know, another couple hundred steps further away from the river, the trees are not the same. There's, a, there's kind of a scrawniness about them that we're maybe a little more used to in the Saskatchewan um, prairie. Um, but there's something about those trees right next to water. They're, they're thick, they're healthy, they're greener. Um, the, the leaves were not changing as soon as the other ones. They, they had sort of this, this strength, this robustness to them. So Psalm 1 does not say, if you're planted by the river, well, lucky you, you're going to do so well. Isn't what Psalm 1 says? Psalm 1 says that those who delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, those who do this will be like trees planted right by the nourishing river, leaning into the Lord, leaning into his truth, remaining rooted in his word and his promise is. In other words, um, it kind of spells out the opposite of those flourishing trees. Um, In Psalm 1, it says the opposite of that would be the worthless chaff. So when the harvest is happening, and the the grain stock is there, and the leaves, and and the, the husks, all of that gets torn away, right? Away and 
Paul talks a lot about this kind of topic when he's writing about, uh, writing his letter to the Corinthian church, his first letter to them. He urges the Jesus followers to live out their best life in whatever setting they're currently in. He's saying, live out your calling wherever you are. He doesn't make it a hard and fast rule because there are times when our circumstances do need to change, right? And yet, his, his most basic calling to these new believers, these new followers of Jesus, he says in uh, chapter 7 of that book, he says, each of you can, should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. Live your best life. Be your best self wherever you are. Bloom where you are planted.
Thank you. 